All right. Thank you, Connie, for that. Second Peter 3. Anybody need notes out there? All fixed up. Second Peter 3. We were in this chapter in our last Sunday night together. It's two weeks ago. And we did verses 1 through 7. And I want to go back to verse 7. Uh, we kind of touched on it, but it's a part of both the first group and the second group in this chapter. And so we're going to go 7 through 12 tonight is what we're looking to hit. Yeah, so 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. I believe this is the ninth session here in 2 Peter with one still to go. 2 Peter 3, verse number 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, so this is talking about our present time, after the flood, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And it's a, it's a very detailed passage in some ways, but in some ways it leaves a lot of doors open for us to think through. And it's a, a passage that we'll compare with other passages. This, this uh, topic or the subject matter is exciting because it's dealing with prophecy, it's dealing with future events, and we're really going to be able to get into some things as we go through this tonight. So let's pray. God bless us now once again in this lesson. I pray that every person in the room would be able to understand the subject matter, that you would help us to have an excitement for the future, for eternity with you. I pray that you would help us to have the right mindset about what we do on this earth now as we look toward heaven. I pray that you would work in us, and we ask it in your name. Amen. Okay, so back to verse 7. Now, we, we've been talking through in the passage about the flood and about uh, how the earth was changed and it was totally overflowed with water. And now we're talking about the current present tense, heavens and earth, which we all know are soon going to go down because of global warming. Right? We just read about it, the fervent heat that's coming. And that's what all of the world leaders are meeting in Paris about this week. It's about Second Peter 3. The fervent heat that's coming. Uh, it's not going to be man-made global warming. It's going to be God withdrawing his hand global warming. And so it's a different type. But Second Peter 3, we've got the heavens and earth which are now, 
Now I want you to notice this next phrase because we talked about it this morning. By the same word are kept in store. So the word of God, look at verse number five again. By the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. So it's by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Talked about that this morning. And by that word, that very word of God, they are now kept in store. So once again, showing us that through God, everything that is on this earth is being kept by our Creator, by the, the God and Father, Jesus Christ. So we're reminded, it says in our notes now, we're reminded once again, verse 7, that all things are being kept by the Creator until His time for ending them. And when His time comes, it's going to be a earth-shattering event, obviously. And we're going to give you some of the timeline on this because there's a lot of confusion in our minds, especially when we get to this uh, wording down below where it talks about a thief in the night. And some people begin to think, well, thief in the night, that means when Jesus comes back for the rapture, the, uh, the earth is going to dissolve. And, and we're going to try to give you a little bit of a timeline of how it works. But we need to understand up front that the only reason why we're here and why we exist and why we're here tonight is because of Jesus. It's it. If he takes his hand off, it's done. It's over. Um, because if you read back even to the human creation in Genesis chapter 2, it says, The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So what happens when God takes his breath away from the human race? We just become dust again. And there is a doctrinal, really some certainty in this passage. Now, we get to verse number 8, and he says, But beloved, be not ignorant. That's always an encouraging thing, right? When your teacher says, be not ignorant. So Peter is saying to this group of people who's been dealing with the scoffers, they've been dealing with uh, people who are heretics, within the body, without the body. They've got people questioning and saying, hey, didn't your God promise to come back? And why hasn't that happened? And so he says, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Now, we've all heard of this before. And in fact, it goes back, if you turn back to the 90th Psalm, this psalm was one of the psalms that was written, we believe, by Moses. So not all the psalms were written by David. Psalm chapter 90. And in fact, uh, it may say in your Bible that this was a prayer of Moses. Anybody have that in there? It says a prayer of Moses. Okay, so this speaks of the eternal aspect of God. Look at Psalm 90. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth. Or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and saying, Return, ye children of men, 
For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. So this has already been in Scripture, and now Peter is referencing it to help the people of his day to understand something about the nature of God and something about their situation. And so we say it in your notes this way, God's eternity exceeds all measures of time, whether long or short. He has never stumbled at a lengthy way. Have you ever called about a bill or called uh, some government office and they, they tell you the number of how many in line you are? Right? Remember they said, you are 29th in line. Right? Or uh, we're, all of our circuits are busy and you'll have to wait for a while and it just keeps going and going and going. Maybe you call an airline or you call somebody and you got to wait. And for human beings, it's tough for us to wait, right? Uh, in fact, sometimes it's hard to wait through a stoplight. You're like, if, if, I don't know if you've ever said, this has got to be the longest light in the city and, and at every light. Or can't they change this light to make it, you know, turn green faster? We sometimes have problems with waiting. God has never had that problem once. He is in his nature the God of eternity. And we don't even really have an understanding of how much that means. We we really balk at these things. So They've been waiting about 30 years. We said this next in your notes. Some of the saints in Peter's day were beginning to doubt God's word. After all, it had been over 30 years since the ascension of Jesus. And so the ascension of Jesus had been 30 years. And so, wow, is, is he going to keep his promise? Is he going to come back? Are the end times going to happen? And we look back at that now. And we understand that now it's been over 2,000 years. And there have been people in every generation of Christianity who have been praying, come Lord Jesus. And we continue to pray that prayer. And we continue to say, these are the last times, these are the end days, this is a perilous world. And a goodness gracious, if Christians had a dollar for every time they heard that, you know, it's coming soon, we'd be rich. We keep hearing that Jesus is coming back, and these people had grown to the point of frustration where they were thinking, well, I'm not sure that this is going to happen. And they were listening to some of the scoffers. So he lets them know this, and it's so important in verse number 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. And that's not just His promise to return. That's all of His promises. The Lord has never slacked on one of His promises. As some men count slackness. But, here's the reason why God has not initiated the day of the Lord yet. Here's the reason why Jesus has not returned yet. Is long suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
And so we explain it this way in your notes. God is waiting, not because He is tardy, but because He desires salvation for the human race. And so God is not there just to make people impatient. He's not there just to make His saints just live their entire life expecting Him and never get anything out of it. Uh, Every saint who's ever lived since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Bible says he's asleep and he's waiting for the coming of the Lord. His, His body is in a grave waiting. His spirit's already with the Lord. And so we, we know that God's promises are real and they're good, but God is not slack concerning His promise. And then we get into these last three verses of the, of the passage, and that's where we want to spend some time tonight. Because it talks about the day of the Lord. And verse 10 says it this way, But the day of the Lord will come. So this phrase is written, or this part of the sentence is written, for those who were struggling with, is God really going to come back? Is there going to be an end times? And so he, he writes this emphatically. The day of the Lord will come. And if you deal with, with people much, you understand that it's so hard for us to wait on things. And if you tell a two-year-old you're going to get a cookie later, then you can expect that the two-year-old is going to ask you in approximately three seconds, can I have a cookie now? You need to wait till later. Can I have a cookie now? You need to wait till later. Last night I had the blessing of putting my little daughter to bed. And I put her in bed, and I snuggled her all in, and I tucked her in, and we have this ritual. I gave her her milk, and, and uh, I said, this is all you're going to get. And she said, this is all I get till tomorrow. It's all you get till tomorrow. And I said, you're gonna, you need to stay in bed until mom comes in and says, rise and shine. It's all part of the ritual, people. Don't doubt me on this. And uh, I need to stay in bed till mom says, rise and shine. Yes, you need to stay in bed. And then she says in her sweetest voice that she has possible, please leave the door open this much. She says it every night. Please leave the door open this much. And she got to leave the door open a certain way because she wants to be able to see Dawson's door. That's her whole deal. I don't know why. So I got out of her room, and I had barely made it down to the family room, and I heard footsteps. And she's already behind me. I go put her back in bed, tuck her all in, go through the whole thing again. I get out of, out of the room, I hear little footsteps. This happened an infinite number of times. And so I would go in and I'd say, you need to stay in bed for about 10 minutes, and then I'll come in and rock you. But you have to stay in bed, you can't get up. And so to a two-year-old, 10 minutes, that's like the end of the world, Right? So we all have these time periods. You know, if you tell kids Christmas is going to be coming soon, well, don't tell them that until the day before Christmas. Because if you tell them that now, it's going to be just a season of about four weeks that are, it's going to be horrible for everybody involved. But this day of the Lord thing, he says, it will come. And it will come as a thief in the night. And it's interesting 
that it's spoken that way because God Himself knows when it will be. Now, if you look back at Matthew 24, Jesus talked about this. And when we read this passage in Matthew 24, so often we think of this as dealing with the rapture. But Jesus was talking more about the revelation or the second coming of Christ to the earth. Matthew 24, and verse number 42. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Now, when we think of the end times as believers, and we even hear the second coming, sometimes we confuse that with the rapture. Think about it this way. With the rapture, Jesus never sets foot on the earth. Right? We are called up or caught up to meet him in the air. And so Jesus doesn't step foot on the earth until the end of the tribulation period. And when he steps foot on the earth at the end of the tribulation period, the day of the Lord begins. Now go over to Revelation chapter 19. And I don't want to get real deep in this, but I do want to show you a little on the day of the Lord. So if you look at Revelation 19... Verse number 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vessel dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. What that means is, at this point in time, that we who are saints of God will be with the Lord as he comes back to the earth for the second time. The first time being the time when he came as a baby in a manger. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so we begin to see the day of the Lord. In the Old Testament, it's called the day of the Lord with all capital letters, which is the day of Jehovah. We're going to see later in Second Peter 3 that it's also called the day of God, which is just a specific part of it. And so the day of the Lord, uh, if you think about the timeline of the day of the Lord, biblically speaking, it will be toward the end of the tribulation period. Right? The end of the tribulation period, the Lord will return, as we just read, and the battle of Armageddon will take place, or that last battle will take place, and then the beast and his host will be destroyed, Satan will be bound for a thousand years. The judgment of the nations will begin. 
and initiate the thousand-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ on the earth. At the end of the thousand years, Satan will be loosed for a time, and all of those who have been born during the millennial reign will have to choose for themselves whether or not they believe Jesus. And they have a choice to make. And many of them will go with Satan and they will join up in his army for this last battle. And then at the end of this, you have a, another resurrection and a final judgment. And then we get to what's called the day of God portion. The day of God portion is what it's talking about in 2 Peter 3. The day of God portion is the very end of the day of the Lord segment in prophecy. And we say this in your notes because sometimes when we think of a day, we as human beings, we think of it as a day, like a 24-hour period. But here's what it says in your notes. Having introduced the thought that a day is a thousand years with God, Peter now relates the news of the day of the Lord. And if you really want to study the day of the Lord, you're going to be going a lot of places in Scripture. Because it's talked about repeatedly in the minor prophets. You're going to have to read in Revelation. You're going to have to read in Daniel. You're going to have to go all over. Second Peter here talks about it. And you're going to put it all together into a package deal where the day of the Lord appears to be a time period that is just a hair over or maybe right on a thousand years. And so that's a day in God's economy. But in our economy, it seems like a long time. And so he relates, relates this news now of the day of the Lord. Now, if you go back to 2 Peter 3, I'll show you this mention. Look how the wording has changed in verse number 12. It says, Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. The day of God. So it changes wording just a little bit. Now, Jehovah and God are the same person. right? But the wording change helps us to distinguish that the day of God is just this last little segment of the entire day of the Lord. And so, here's the description of it. Verse number 10, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And what we would understand from that is the entire day of the Lord, the way it's initiated, will come as a surprise to everybody. No one will be looking for it. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And we said this in your notes. Though we can't be certain of the details on how the heavens will pass away, we can know that fervent heat is involved. Scientists even now, and if you went on Google or Bing or whatever, that was a hilarious story about my grandmother. She passed away a couple weeks ago. And uh, just a couple weeks even before she passed, she still wanted to do stuff on the computer. And I appreciate Brother Kent who had gone and helped her before with her computer. But uh, she called my aunt up and she said, I can't find Google on my computer. There's only Bing. 
Now, you know, Bing is another search engine. And I don't know what she did or how did she did it, but my aunt was telling that story. It cracked me up. But if you go to Google or Bing, and you type in God particle, you're going to have who knows how many responses online of scientists, of scientific communities, of theologians, of evolutionists who are trying to disprove God. You're going to have so many that you, it's going to take you forever to even look through it all. Of, of those who are looking for this God particle in the molecular structure of everything on this earth. Whether it's a, a molecule that's part of one of your cells or your organs on your body or it's a molecule of a rock formation or a molecule of a dandelion. They're looking for this common God particle and to see if it brings it all together. And here's why it's important. Scientists think that if they could find the God particle, that they have answered the key to evolution. Did you just hear the sentence I said? Isn't it funny how they always... It's like their sentences make no sense. It's like if we could get the Hubble telescope out into space and we could see infinitely into space, we would have proved evolution. Like, no, people, you put the wrong ending on the sentence. If you find a God particle in the molecular structure of everything, then you have then proved creation, right? People, it's, it's amazing how they write the headlines, though. But if there is a God particle, you could see how if God takes his hand off and God takes whatever it is that holds us together, the structure together, uh, that he takes it out and the world dissolves into fervent heat. God's the one who made it all. He's the one who breathed it into existence. And he certainly can destroy it at his will. Verse 11 is the verse we need to apply, though. We don't need to worry really as much about the fervent heat as we do about verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Now in your Bible, if you notice the of persons in that verse, is probably italicized. Is it italicized in yours? And what that means is the translators were trying to make sense in English for the reader. But that of persons in Greek, here's what it means. It means of what country? Of what country? That's what it literally means. So when you look at this, it says what manner of persons ought you to be. The original Greek, what it says is, what manner of country you ought to be. And what it's referring to is if we're citizens of heaven, which we became the moment we trusted Christ, why would we act like we're citizens of earth? To say that if everything here is going to be destroyed, 
Why would we buy in to being citizens of earth when we're actually citizens of heaven? So what manner of persons ought you to be? What citizenship should you hold? Your notes is this way. The heart of an authentic child of God will be set toward what lasts for eternity, not toward what will soon disappear. Paul told the Colossians this way. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And uh, there's no reason to invest much into something that's going to disappear. Over in India, it's so interesting. Uh, Justice will be driving down the road. And uh, you'll see things that are crazy, like you've never seen them before, and they're commonplace to him. And one day we're driving down the road, and I've noticed we're in the Kerala state, and all these women have a lot of jewelry on. And so I said, Justice, why, why do the women here wear all their jewelry? And he said, they're wearing all of their fortune. And I said, what do you mean they're wearing all their fortune? He says, they wear their fortune every day because it is not safe to leave it at their home. So he looks at, he just picks a woman on the street. He says, that woman, she probably has $100,000 of gold on her neck, right, and her head. And I said, well, why don't people bother to get this big discussion? And he says, because if you keep things in your home, they will be stolen. And you know, the way that we invest in this life, most of what we invest in is taken away. Jesus tried to explain it, and it's such a, a hard twist for us, and it's really such a mystery for us. You remember where Jesus said that he who gains his life, or he who loses his life shall gain it? It's such a hard concept for us to have. To give everything up to gain. Because we're going to lose everything anyway. That's what Peter's talking about here. And he was right. How many of the people that this was originally written to are still on the earth? That would be none. In fact, their grandkids aren't even on the earth. Or their great-grandkids are way long way down. We're talking about almost 2,000 years ago. 1,950 years ago this was written. So he says, what matter of persons ought ye to be? Now this is present tense. And this is where we have to live. If we're going to live for the kingdom, we have to live in the ought ye to be right now in the present time in all holy conversation godly. It's talking about our lifestyle and how our lifestyle is what matters as we serve the Lord. Verse 12, it's interesting, there's a word in here that I want you to see. It says, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. I look at that word and I'm thinking, now wait just a second. If God initiates this day as a thief in the night, and Jesus said, no man knows the day nor the hour, not even the angels of heaven, 
how can we as people on the earth haste that day? How is it that John writes at the end of Revelation, even so, come Lord Jesus? Well, because he's praying that the day will come. But there was another way to haste the day of the Lord. And we mentioned it here in your notes. By furthering the gospel through the Great Commission, believers have the unique privilege of acting as instruments in God's cosmic plan. You know, the Great Commission is the key to the coming of the day of God. And even during the tribulation period, there are going to be 144,000 witnesses who are supernaturally empowered by the gift of languages to go out and to reach Jews all throughout the world. And it's a fascinating part of prophecy to understand that during the tribulation period itself, billions of souls will be saved. And we, who are here on the earth now, have the opportunity to be instruments just as those witnesses will be instruments during the end time. So verse 12, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. The day of God, as I told you, is the specific portion of the day of the Lord, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Now, as we get into that next verse in the next part of the passage, we're going to get into what some of the theories are, whether there's going to be a refinement of this heaven and earth by fire, or whether we're going to have a completely new heaven and earth in a different location with a different part of God's creation. And it's an interesting thing to talk about. There's a lot of views on every side of it. And we'll finish up with the book the next time we meet. Well, let's stand and we'll close in a word of prayer. Hope you guys have a wonderful start to your December this week. And be praying, if you would, for Jack and Liz Calhoun and, and others that we know of who are having a hard time right now. Father, thank you again that we could be here. Bless us we go to our homes. Keep us safe. Help us to live as citizens of heaven this week, not as citizens of the earth. Help us not to invest all of our time and all of our efforts in the things that will someday burn but to invest in souls, to invest in eternity. Guide us from this place, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of love Will my heart become